0: Welcome to Career Chat, where we discuss career stories to help find a path for you. I'm your host, Andrea LeBaron, and it's my goal to help you find meaningful work. As Jason Reading stood in his Brooklyn office on the morning of 9-11, he watched the second plane hit the South Tower and thought, I'm going to be deployed. Jason had joined the National Guard during college and knew that was a possibility, but it became a reality a few years later when he served as a company commander with combat engineers in Iraq. Today, Jason shares his experiences with the Guard, his reflections on 9-11 and Afghanistan after 20 years, and his advice for anyone considering military service. He also walks us through his experience getting an MBA at Harvard and a successful career in private equity. Join me.
1: Jason, welcome to Career Chat. I'm so happy to have you as a guest today. Thanks, and idea. no, I really appreciate it. I um, was hoping that you could introduce yourself to us to start out. Could you tell us a little bit about where you're from and your family and what you do currently as your work?
2: Uh, you bet. Um, I'm Jason and I grew up in Salt Lake City. I've now lived in uh, San Francisco, Boston, New York. Arizona in uh, Phoenix and back here. I've got five kids from the ages from 22 down to 12. And, um, I work, I started my own private equity firm about 15 years ago. So I'm still doing that investing in small businesses and hopefully helping them grow.
1: Awesome. That is amazing. And I, um, The reason that I wanted to interview you is I want to talk a little bit about how this interview came about. So about a year and a half ago, my son was um, looking into joining the National Guard and I was looking for somebody who could talk with him somebody who wasn't a recruiter who could give him their (laughs) their honest opinion about how it went and answer our questions and at the same time I happened to see you post something about your time in the guard and um, how you'd served in Iraq and I reached out to you it had been like 30 years since we were (laughs) in high school (laughs) Yep. But um, you were so gracious to meet with us. We, you invited us to your office, and we spent an hour just asking you questions and having us having you tell us your experience. And it was so valuable. And I felt like that would be a great conversation to have uh, on this podcast because there are probably many young men and young women who are contemplating the guard. Um, and have questions. And I thought that your experience would be helpful. So thank you again for agreeing to do this. Um, At that time, I also learned that you were working in New York City, was it in Brooklyn? Um, Yeah, in Brooklyn Heights. Brooklyn Heights on 9-11. And I'm just so curious, I didn't have a chance to ask you then, but I'm just really curious to talk to you about that firsthand experience and some of your reflections, you know, now that we've just barely hit the 20-year mark yeah. on 9-11. So we'll definitely get to that. But first, um, I wanted to know, did you always know what kind of career you wanted when you were in high school?
2: Oh, no. <laughs> no <idea. laughs> there are some days I still wonder if I know what I really want to do. But
1: Oh, that's refreshing to hear. <laughs>
2: yeah. It's been kind of a random walk that's got me to where I am today, but it's been a, a great career path, um, albeit random.
1: So, how did you decide? Like, what led you to go to into private equity?
2: Well, in reality, so I went to um, I went to BYU, and uh, one of the more challenging programs I had was the accounting program. And I figured I could make a living with that to and earn money while I was still figuring out what I wanted to do. And that would expose me to business. So I got my I uh, uh, got my accounting degree at BYU did that for about a year and a half with Pricewaterhouse out in San Francisco, which was probably about a year and a half too long, but it was (laughs) a pretty good experience. Um, and then I was fortunate enough to scoot over to investment banking. So I did, uh, mergers and acquisitions with, um, Merrill Lynch for a couple years, right at the height of the dot com boom, which was a great time to do that. Um, then I was, uh, luckier, craftier, and I'm not sure what to call it, but to get into Harvard. So I went to Harvard business school, um, after that experience. And then after that, I joined a, um, investment group that invested in, uh, big businesses that were having financial difficulties. And that was my first job out of business school. And one of those jobs was in New York, which is why I was there during nine 11. Gotcha. And then did that work with them for a couple of years. And then, um, Moved to Arizona for that same company. Uh, Wife was pregnant with two kids. Um, Moved down on a Saturday. On Tuesday, I got the call that we might get called up to active duty because at the time I was a company commander for a combat engineer company in Utah. Um, Thursday, they said I needed to pack my bags and get up there. Um, And Saturday, I was gone. So I hadn't even lived there for a week. And I was leaving back to get my unit rail loaded and off to war. This was before the war started and uh, my wife Heather was pregnant with two little kids surrounded by boxes. <laughs> oh wow. Yeah and at the time I didn't know for sure whether or not anything was going to happen and I told her to be gone for a couple of um, maybe a couple of weeks maybe a couple of months and then 15 months later when I'm actually getting back and my son's I just got back just in time for his one-year birthday. So it was kind of a wild ride. Um, wow. After that though I decided I was kind of done living on the road and not seeing my family. So we moved back to Salt Lake, got a job with uh, a private equity group here in Salt Lake called Peterson Partners. And I was a partner there for about three years. And then we started our own group with my partner, uh, my two partners uh, in 2007. So I've been doing that ever since.
1: Wow. There is so much to talk about in that framework. (laughs)
2: Like I said, it was, it's been a random walk.
1: Yes. Well, I love. (laughs) I, I'm making a little map as we're talking of um, how these like different steps led, you know, one to another, and I want to go back to um, where you actually join the guard because it's kind of like you've got parallel experiences you've got your career right. experience and then you've got your guard experience so you're doing them together, but they're also kind of separate right.
2: Right. So I served an LDS mission in Germany. Then a year after that, I was at BYU and my father had been in the National Guard, so I'd been exposed to it. Uh, And my lineage goes back, well, really, um, into the Revolutionary War. I've got somebody in every generation that has served in the military, whether it's even the War of 1812 to the uh, Indian Wars here in Utah to civil war to world war 2 world war 1 i i've got direct descendant or direct uh, ancestors that were involved in those so I, I i guess it just runs in my blood so i decided to join when i was 22 i went through the ROTC program at BYU where i got my commission and i commissioned i knew i did not want to go full time army because that's not my personality but <laughs> doing it part time sounded like a lot of fun and interesting so i joined the combat engineers because they seemed to be the most um High-speed involved group that I could join and it sounded like fun.
1: Okay, so you joined when you were at BYU, and then when you mentioned that how you moved to Arizona, was that the first time that you were called up?
2: Uh, funny. I, well, if for that length of period, I was actually called up. So you remember we have the Olympics uh, soon yeah. after 9/11. Um, we were actually called up for about a month and a half then to provide security. So I was the um, one of the area commanders for, um, oh shoot, the, the place where had the, they had the biathletes, uh, the biathlon, the ski guys.
1: Oh yeah.
2: Soldier's hollow. that's Soldier's hollow. Yeah. yeah. So I was up in soldier's hollow and I, I ran the security for the national guard piece of it up in soldier hollow for the Olympics. So that's oh. how I spent my Olympics in Utah, <laughs> sleeping in a warehouse up in uh, a <laughs> soldier hollow. <laughs>
1: Did you get to see any of the events or was it strictly uh, business?
2: Yeah, I did a little bit, but uh, I don't know. I, I guess you have to be uh, really appreciate the sport to understand it and to be excited about it. So I watched a few races, but not a whole lot.
0: Yeah.
1: So you, your active duty was when you were called up um, to go to Iraq, right? And at the time you weren't sure how long it was gonna be. So when you said goodbye to your wife who's pregnant, and thought you might be back. Did you not see her again until the year and a half later?
2: (laughs) It was funny. I actually, I, uh, so we got hung up in, um, Fort Lewis, Washington, because, uh, all the traffic that was supposed to go through Turkey got backed up because they closed the border there. So we were supposed to be there for the kickoff. I got into Iraq about a year or about about a month. Um, when the shootings, after the shooting started, we were supposed to be there for the kickoff. But so actually I, uh, we were there for three months. Heather's due date was right then. And I thought, well, uh, maybe I can fly home and induce her and I can at least be there for the birth. And and I told my commander that said, as soon as we do this, you know we're gonna get our call, that we're gonna get flights. And he goes, Probably. So I flew down to see my wife. And by the time I got there, there was already a message waiting for me that we had our call.
1: So oh, wow.
2: <laughs> I spent the night there at my house and then uh, left the next morning to go back. So, um, and about five or six months into my deployment in Iraq, I was able to come home for my two weeks of leave. So I actually did get to see my son and, and Heather for about two weeks in the middle of my tour,
1: oh, nice. which is a bit
2: surreal to fly out of Baghdad and fly into Phoenix, Arizona and see your kids and then realize I've got to go back. So I was a bit surreal, but I did. So I did get to see him for a few days, at least in between that 15 month deployment.
0: How
1: did you deal with that, and how did they deal with that? Uh,
2: (laughs) Well, like my wife says, uh, you just you do because you have to. Um, So she was a real trooper, obviously. You know, raising two little girls and Max, who was a newborn at the time, and um, we had good neighborhood support, good ward there, LDS ward that we were involved with, did was very helpful. And for me, um, it was just I was busy as a company commander and. you know, i to keep busy, keep my mind off of family, and then, you know, just really look forward to when I could go home.
1: So, and as part of the engineers, the combat engineers, are you seeing, you know, combat, like, what are you doing over there as an engineer?
2: That's a good question. So it's a very, it's a pretty unique mix. So our battalion that went over there had four companies. I was a company commander of one of those companies. That company had about 140 troops. Um, we were what was called a core wheeled asset which means that we were um, so we were basically a core asset meaning that we were an important enough asset that that the really higher ups would designate what we did because we had so much so much um, uh, flexibility in what we did so I, I had three platoons of that 140 that were light combat engineers which is basically infantry guys that know how to blow stuff up um and then I had one platoon that was a heavy platoon, which was an equipment platoon. So I also had a platoon of, of soldiers that uh, operated cranes, um track hoes, dozers, scoop loaders. And you know, I had four dozers, a couple scoop loaders, a track hoe, a bunch of other heavy equipment in my company. And so I, I had all sorts of types of missions from kicking doors, uh security missions to um A big mission was finding IEDs because we were given some armored assets from the South African army. So we'd go out looking for IEDs and hope we found them before they found us. Um, We do- That's
1: pretty dangerous work, isn't it?
2: uh, It's pretty, pretty hair raising. I went out a couple of times with them and it's uh, you're in this up armored vehicle with a big extendable arm and you you see what might be an IED and you kind of poke around and with your extendable arm and hope it doesn't blow up. And then if it is an IED, uh, uh, try to put explosives by it and blow it up first. And uh, there were a couple times that the uh, the ID found us before we found it, but they were in up armored vehicles, and so um, you know, most we had was some concussions and bleeding ears and such, which isn't great. But um, yeah, it was it, and all sorts. We did a lot of protection missions, protecting the Iraqi police, um, mm-hmm. building protections around their their bases. Um, so yeah, a real. A, a whole variety of stuff we were attached we had a, a, a float a platoon attached to us for some time that did river um that had river boats I used to actually be a platoon leader for uh, a bridging company out in Tooele that did uh, boats and floating bridges so I had some experience in that so anyway it was a, a real diverse set of missions that we ran. Mm,
1: that sounds so challenging um what do you think was the hardest part about being deployed overseas? Uh,
2: really being gone from family. That was very hard. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I tell people that uh, there's, it's, it, it is a, a blessing that few in life get to experience, which is contemplating your mortality. Yeah. Not, not many people really get to think, hey, I might die today. <laughs> and really think that, yeah, that, that could happen. And so what, what does that mean for me as a person? And um, you know, I remember thinking about that a lot, thinking, uh, I hope I never take it for granted, because, you know, being able to contemplate your mortality, going to bed at night, thinking, "I wonder if I'm going to go to bed in my bed tomorrow night, or something's going to happen." So um, I don't know, that was a insightful moment for me that I thought about quite a bit over there.
1: Um, do you feel like the, the military kind of helps you mentally prepare when you're in the guard for those kinds of questions, dealing with that kind of stuff, or is it all of the technical training that you get?
2: So, yeah. And at least when I went through, it was all technical training. It, yeah. They figured that if they made you, um, physically and kind of mentally tough enough through the training, then you'll figure things out. <laughs> yeah,
1: and I remember you telling you were telling my son he was kind of wondering, hey, could I get through the guard the whole time without being deployed? And you were like, no, like <laughs> plan on <laughs> plan on at least one and maybe two deployments, and those can last anywhere from what six to nine months or really
2: even depends. longer. Um, when I joined the, the they they had had some deployments before, but they're rarely more than a few months. Um, and in the back of my head, I was kind of thinking when I joined the Guard that uh, there's going to be a time when I'll probably get called up for some event that'll be, you know, three maybe six months. I didn't think it'd be 15 months, but mm-hmm. um, but the Guard has changed. The the military has changed. the 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 regular army cannot go to war without the Guard and the reserves.
1: Uh, interesting. Uh, be,
2: because we the, just the allocation of the types of specialties we have, and the Guard is honestly better at a lot of things that the Army than the Army, Um, partly because in the the Guard, you might be in the same unit for 15 years more and doing the same thing for 15 Mm -hmm. years. Where in the Army, you got brand new recruits coming in that are 18, 19 years old that are learning how to fire a cannon or to build a bridge or to do whatever they do. And they'll do that for a few years and then they'll get out. Well, us Guard guys, we've got depth in our civilian careers as well. You know, a lot of my operators... Uh, in their civilian career were train operators, they were dozer operators. So they had 30 years of experience running a dozer. Whereas in the regular army, you might have a 21 year old kid that's had, you know, maybe a hundred hours on a dozer. So there's just certain things that the guard does better than the army.
1: So yeah, you become highly specialized it sounds like.
2: Yeah, and so I think going forward, um, it's always gonna have to be the expectation that if you join the guard that you will get deployed. And probably you'll have to count on a year.
0: Mm, okay,
1: that's really good advice. What um, advice would you give to young people who are considering the guard? Like, what advantages did you feel the guard gave you? Because there must be some incentive for, for joining and wanting to be part of that.
2: Well, for me personally, I like the challenge and, and um, I wanted to do something different. I knew I didn't want to do it full-time. Um, kind of figured early on that my career was lies somewhere within the finance investing world. And so I wanted to do something unique where I just wasn't another finance guy Mm -hmm. (laughs) that I actually could sketch out and build a pretty rough road or understand how bridges are built or how to blow up a bridge or how to, you know, lay a minefield or whatever it might be, which is something different. So for me, it was really the challenge and accepting the fact that that challenge meant that I'd probably have to be called away from my regular job. Mm -hmm. But the Guard also um, provides a lot of other training opportunities and leadership opportunities. I I tell people there is really no other institution in the United States that that teaches leadership in, in a concise and unceasing way. And that is the Army or the Air Force. They teach leadership. That's what they do. So in some ways it gives Kids a great opportunity to, to learn how to be a leader and to become a better leader. Um, and oftentimes you just really don't get those types of opportunities in the civilian world, especially at a young age.
1: No, oh, that's a, good I was point. a
2: platoon leader when I was 26, 27. I was a company commander when I was 30, you know, in charge of 140 guys in the civilian world, you probably not wouldn't have that level of experience or that level of responsibility given to you at that age.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Do you feel like there is a, an ideal age to join? Is it personal? I mean, some kids are looking at joining right after high school. You joined in college, right? A little bit older.
2: Right. Um, I served in the LDS mission, which I think really kind of tempered my understanding of the world and who I was. Yeah.
1: So do you feel like it's an advantage to know a little bit more about yourself before you join the Guard? Or is it just a personal decision?
2: Uh, it's probably a personal decision. Me personally, though, my personal thought on that is, I feel like it is beneficial to be a little bit older. I looked at joining the guard before, you know, right after high school. Actually, I looked at joining the guard during high school. At the time, they had a program where you could do your basic training before your senior year, and then after your senior year, you do your uh, MOS uh, school. Um, So I looked at that but i decided that i probably need to have a little more maturity and understanding what i want to do before i make that level of commitment but -hmm. again everybody is has their own path
1: and is it it's a if i'm remembering correctly it's a seven-year commitment when you join is that right
2: uh i'm not sure exactly what it is today uh and it varies it changes depending on the military's need to recruit and what they're looking for but when i joined I think it was like four and two, Maybe four four or five and two, which meant four or five years of like active guard duty, and then two years of of reserve, where basically okay. your name is kind of in a pool, and you've got two more years of just being on call. Um, which people also need to realize that's a real thing, because when we started plussing up for our deployment to Iraq, I had a lot of guys showing up like deer in headlights, like. I haven't been in the guard for four years, but I didn't take myself off the ready reserve, and they called me up and said I got to come back. Oh wow! And I got no idea what I'm doing. I'm like, well, welcome aboard. We'll <laughs> get you trained up because yeah, you're part of my company now. Um, so, I mean, the the two years or whatever it might be inactive service that's should be taken into account. They really can call you if they mm. need you.
1: Um, do you have any like just one or two bits of advice that you give? kids who are joining the guard like if you were to to approach someone who just signed papers what would you tell them
2: um i would tell them to know why they want to join the guard whether it's for fun or whether it's for a skill or for both because you can do a whole mix of a variety of things so you could join the guard and learn how to be a diesel mechanic and learn how to drive heavy equipment and because maybe you want to do that eventually in your life or maybe you just want that have that as a hobby but the military will treat it will teach you how to do a lot of those things or you can join um for the adventure you can join because you want to ultimately make it into special forces and you want to get deployed and you want to be all the high-speed stuff that you can do in the Army. Um, uh, But know why you want to join. Don't join just to join for any sort of benefits or think that, um, you know, well, they'll pay for college and it's a way for me to pay for college. I think you need to join because you kind of know which path you want to take, what you really want to do. Because the Army is great in a lot of ways. You know, they're probably the cheapest training source to learn how to do a whole lot of different things, a lot of vocations, um, a lot of skills. So, um, yeah, I'd say know why you want to go.
1: That's a great piece of advice. Um, did you lose any men when you were in Iraq?
2: Thankfully, no, that was, uh, that I can look back on my experience in a very positive light because we didn't lose anybody when we were there. we had some close calls very Mm -hmm. first day we got ambushed on the way up and, um, if they had been better shots with their RPGs, they would have probably killed four of my guys, but they, they didn't, they shot low and skipped. And so we, uh, and there were a lot of other times when we hit IEDs and um, came close to losing soldiers, but everybody came back that I went with. So uh, unfortunately some of those soldiers that I served with in Iraq subsequently served in Afghanistan and a couple of them were killed. And Mm. um, you know, Sergeant Thode gave his life in Afghanistan. He was there with us in Iraq
1: well I wanted to get your thoughts about Afghanistan do you feel like you can empathize with what is going on there I mean do you feel like you take a side as you look at what's happening or do you just feel all the feelings again from being deployed like what that's what's happening
2: uh, I think I can be fairly objective about it. It is a very emotional thing, but I think I could be fairly objective about it. It was absolutely a leadership failure. Um, we should have, I, I don't think you'll find anybody in the military that thinks we should have stayed another 20 years in Afghanistan. But the way we left, absolute leadership failure. We didn't have to do it that way. And uh, poor planning. Um, it, it, the decision stopped with the executive, but honestly, the real blame lies at the the military, uh, the echelons between the executive and the people on the ground—they failed. They, hmm. they, they didn't have a proper plan. It should have never happened like that. It's, it's an embarrassment, and it's unfortunate that it, that it unraveled in the way it did. Because being in the military and understanding how it works, it could have been handled a lot differently. But unfortunately, and I think that's something that um, young people should take into account today, as is. Um, whether or not the, the people that make the decisions of deployments and movements that they have really understanding uh, the best interests at heart, they aren't politically motivated. So honestly, I, if, if my youngest son were to come to me in a couple of years to ask me if he should join the military, I'm not sure what I'd tell him today, honestly.
0: Mm, that's
1: And I remember you saying that with us. That's a really good point. I also remember you saying that when 9-11 happened and you saw what that actually meant, you knew that you were going to be deployed.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The, the day, you know, sitting there watching, I, again, I can't remember how tall the building was. It was like 23, 24, maybe 27 stories tall, right on the, um, right on the bank at the East River. So we had a completely uncovered view of the of, uh, financial District the river and just watching that all happen just in real time and watching the buildings drop and you know my we were right by the Brooklyn Bridge and watching a stream of people that evacuating out of the city just a non-stop parade of people coming over the bridge and just knowing you know from the about 10 seconds after the first plane hit understanding that was a terrorist attack and seeing how it escalated it's like I just knew it was a a matter of time I almost felt like it was going to be you know, before the year closed out, it took me until two thousand three to go, but mm-hmm. I knew it was it was destined to happen at some point.
1: So set the stage for us again. It's that morning on nine eleven. You go into work, and could you see the towers? Did you say from your? Oh
2: did yeah. Did you have an yeah, office
1: had- that overlooking the the financial district?
2: Yeah. So we were so the financial district's right on the tip of Manhattan there, mm-hmm. and so we were. The East River borders, the well, the east side of of Manhattan, and Brooklyn is just right on the other side of that. So you got the Brooklyn Bridge, one side New York, other side Brooklyn. We were, our office building was right there um, on the Brooklyn side. Um, We were on the top floor of this building had this incredible panoramic view from all the way out to Statue of Liberty, Ellis Island, I guess, out. To the, to the left, and then all the way up, you could see to the top of um, of New York. To the right, um, you know, twelve foot glass Florida ceiling walls. I mean, it's a beautiful office. Um, so yeah, I mean, unencumbered view. Like it's almost like I was just standing uh, out in the open, watching it all happen. And and uh, I didn't see the first plane hit. I was actually sitting down and booting up my computer, and felt. The shockwave and felt my building kind of move a little bit and, and looked out and saw uh smoke coming out of the World Trade Center. And for a second I was like trying to figure out what well I actually saw like a kind of like a mushroom cloud rising. I'm thinking, why would they be demoing a building in downtown right now? And then I saw the black smoke coming out of the World Trade Center. I'm like, oh it's a terrorist attack. And so I went to the office and told everybody what was going on. And then we went to this boardroom that had those incredible ceiling glass ceiling walls and just watched it and then we were amazed and saw this plane flying and then saw it flying kind of down and then back around and started flying towards the buildings and we were kind of a bit confused as to why a plane would be flying like that and then it just went into that building and almost looked like it was going to cut it that, cut in half and just absorbed it it was just crazy i mean we watched the buildings fall we'd heard reports that there were people were saying that the buildings were leaning and that they were going to come down and we was like no way in about 10-15 minutes later we watched them come down so yeah crazy time was we stuck in New York for a few days um probably one of the first flights out flew to Chicago to look at another deal it was eerie going through the airport people with AR-15s or M-16s stand in guard and in the plane, there was probably 20 of us and they had us all packed to the front and we actually flew down the East River and I could look over the side of the plane and see the hole. Um, anyway, yeah, just got in. Basically worked in New York for another five or six months after that. And it's crazy.
1: Did you absorb the, the all that cloud of dust? Was that all coming over?
2: Um, it, it wasn't coming over us. us. Um, there was... There was paper and stuff that was kind of falling from the sky for the first day or so Mm -hmm. but from then on out it's like the you could almost always like look out and i just remember seeing like this black kind of plume of smoke that was rising up and then drifting out i guess what south so seemed like the smoke and debris was all always kind of moving south from where we were Mm -hmm. but it was very noticeable you could see it you could see the smoke right every time you would ride the subway um, through New York you always knew when you were close to ground zero because it had a certain smell to it wow. um, for months and months afterwards so and certain stations were closed but you could just tell when you're getting close because of the smell
1: yeah that's interesting that you when you saw the first plane you thought it was a terrorist attack you didn't think it was an accident
2: well I didn't know so when it first plane hit it already hit and so I didn't even know it was a plane at the time oh okay um, but I did see I did see black smoke and i did see flames starting to come out of the, the world trade center mm-hmm. and i had known and and so i knew it was like i i initially thought it was a bomb uh because mm. it because they had tried to bomb the world trade center if you remember yeah. like
1: in 99 I before think. that yeah
2: so but i looked at that i thought oh, mm. it's going to be anything else other than a bomb um right. or something and then we had heard that was a plane but initially we were thinking it's a small like little hyper cub or some some small plane we didn't realize it was a big plane right and then we saw the second plane come in and we knew what was going on
1: wow it's so interesting to hear your perspective on that what do you think i mean do you have any thoughts now that we're 20 years away like having been there and then seeing you know where our country's at or how we how we address terrorism like any thoughts
2: you know, that's a good question. It's a hard question. I'm not sure, to tell you the truth, you know. I There's part of me that just wishes we could all get along, you know. I mean, mm-hmm. <laughs> nobody nobody prays for peace more than a soldier. Um, and I haven't changed my view. I think war is a terrible thing. I think we always should be very circumspect about getting into any sort of armed conflict. I think it's, war is an awful, awful thing that I think, you know, I hope that would never happen again. And that men would like decide that things aren't just worth fighting about and figuring out other ways to resolve conflicts and that, you know, that religion and your way of life just aren't the reasons to impose death and destruction on others. And I'd say that same for the U.S. military, that we need to be more circumspect about, you know, imposing the way we view the world on others as well. And... Um, but yeah, no, that's a tough, tough question. I don't know.
1: No, those are great thoughts. I I really like that idea. Nobody prays for peace more than a soldier. I think that's pretty profound. Um, just we started out this interview talking about kind of how you weren't quite sure what you wanted to do, and then you did all these different things. Looking back at that, do you have any advice for you know young adults who are looking for their career path in life?
2: Uh, well, I guess maybe I would start, I would, the, the way I looked at it when I was young is that I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I could recognize things that kept my options open and, and increased my options of what I wanted to do. So I never wanted to be an accountant, but I knew that being an accountant would put me in a certain area, help me look at other businesses that give me more exposure of what I wanted to do. Investment banking was an absolute beast, but I also knew that it would be open up doors for me and give me other opportunities. And so I knew I didn't wanna do that forever, but I figured it'd give me better opportunities down the road. Um, It got me into business school. uh, And then after business school, I probably still didn't know what I wanna do, but kind of investing and being in that world seemed interesting. So again, I took a job where I couldn't lose. it gave me great experience and I again knew I didn't want to be in that forever but uh, I traveled a lot I was you know commuting to New York City from Salt Lake at the time every week um, but it gave me options and let me look a little bit more into what I want to do so my career path has really been about um, the next steps I take is I take is the ones that open more doors and give me more interesting opportunities, even though they might not be the end station for me. So do something that's interesting that keeps your options open open if you don't know exactly what you wanna do.
1: Jason, this has been really great. I really appreciate your time and thank you for all of your insight and information about the, the National Guard and your career path.
2: You bet.
0: Thanks for joining me today on Career Chat. Any links we talked about will be in the episode notes. You can find me on Instagram at Career Chat Pod. And if you like this episode, please leave me a review on Apple Podcast. See you next time.